before I begin, um, I just want to say a few things. I hope you don't take this the, the wrong way, because I'm speaking to myself too, but, um, you know, why do we come to church? Why do we do this every week? Why do we come here? Is it to meet up with our friends? Maybe that might be part of it. Um, is it to check it off on some list so we feel better about being a Christian, that we're doing the right things, maybe. Um, There might be a myriad of different reasons why we come, but I hope that the main reason is that we come here because we want to spend time with God and that we want to let him know how much we love him. And I will say that I was a little disheartened this morning um, with the song service, not with those that were leading out, but us that were in the audience singing these songs about marching to Zion and gaining the victory. And I think that if anybody came in from the outside, they would not believe that we, be- that we truly were looking forward to Zion or that we, we, we trusted that we had the victory. And so I just wanna remind you that This is a safe place. It's okay to sing out. It's okay to raise your hand if you want to. It's okay to stand up from your seat. It's okay to read the words on the screen. And you might not have the best voice. That's okay. But you're not singing for me. You're not singing for the person next to you. Just try to remind yourself you're singing to God. And it's it's just one of the many ways that we can give thanks to God. And so I just, I I hope that moving forward that you will be open to the spirit leading. And maybe you're sitting back reflecting thoughtfully on the music and and that's fine too. And I'm not trying to tell you, you've got to sing and you've got to sing loud or you're not doing it right. But I just want those of you that maybe want to sing out a little bit more and you're maybe concerned about how other people might view you, um, don't let that hold you back. I know it's difficult when you're surrounded by so many people, but I I have been trying to get myself into more of the habit that when I'm sitting here and I'm sitting in one of these seats that I'm I'm sort of just one-on-one with God. Yes, there are other people around me, but he's my focus, and I believe that he's focused on me too. So I just wanna remind you, this is a safe place, and praise God however you're going to praise God. So with that being said, um, I want to move into this sermon, and as usual, I'm going to be asking you a few questions, and some of the questions are going to pop up again, so I hope it doesn't come off as repetitious, um, but, but I hope that you honestly reflect and think about some of the questions that I might ask this morning. And so the, the sermon title is a question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for, with the subtitle, Let Your Light Shine. And it just, it surprises me every week. And I, we, we had a little laugh about it this morning in Sabbath school because it seems like no matter what I'm preaching on or no matter where we are in the book of Mark and in that Sabbath school class, that it seems to just line up with my sermon. And those of you that attend the class, you'll start saying things and sharing things. And I'm like, you're preaching my sermon. You're preaching my sermon already. Um, so I'm, I'm really exciting about the, what, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us because those of us that were in that class this morning, he's already started uh, laying the groundwork for this message. So before Jesus went back to heaven, 
He gave a command to his followers. And this command has come to be known now as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And so as followers of Christ, we are to teach people about Jesus, to baptize them, and to disciple them. Now, this is nothing new, and this was, this was nothing new at the time that Jesus was about to go to heaven. Jesus had already, you know, had his followers doing these things, and even more throughout his earthly ministry. But I find it interesting that he felt the need to re-emphasize this point right before he went back to heaven. It's almost if he, he knew that we would need a reminder that we might forget. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, he gave many different commands to many different people. And so what, what did that look like? How did Jesus work with his followers and send them out? So I wanna ask the question, did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those he called? And I think that this is a great starting point for our journey through the scriptures today because the Bible doesn't leave us guessing as to what the answer to this question is. So we find in Luke 9, verse one, then he, being Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So Jesus' disciples did not have this power in and of themselves. It's not something that they were practicing or even really preparing for. The power and authority was given to them, and it was given to them by Jesus. So this hodgepodge group of fishermen and tax collectors and students of different things and rabble-rousers, if we're being honest about some of the disciples, they were really nobodies in, in the broad scheme of things. You know, they weren't well-known. They weren't important people in the eyes of society. Yet Christ saw potential in them, and he gave them what they needed to reach that potential. Jesus called them, and he quickly equipped them. No classes, no semester studies, no books to read, no churches to student pastor. He gathered them and he sent them out, trusting in God to lead them and to guide them. Now, I know for some of us, this concept is a little bit strange, maybe even a little bit scary, <laughs> um, but that's what Jesus did. I mean, we can argue with it, but at the end of the day, that's what Jesus chose to do. Christ had a method, and I believe it worked. I, I think it worked out pretty well. Now, was everything perfect from this point when he gave them power and authority? Was everything perfect from there on out with the disciples? No, it, it, it wasn't perfect, far from it. Defects in character, arguments, mistakes, all of these things arose amongst the followers of Jesus. Luke 9, 46 then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. So here we are still in Luke chapter nine, that same chapter where Jesus just called them and gave them power and authority. And just a little bit later in that chapter, we find this 
this power, this authority that he's given to them, it's gone right to their head, right? Just right to their head. Whoa, I've got power. I've got authority. Well, I'm better than you. No, 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 no. I'm better than you. No, well, I'm going to be greatest when it comes down to it, right? I mean, what did Jesus do, though? How did Jesus react? Did he strip away their power and authority? Did he take away their calling? Did he give up on them and just start over with new disciples? No, no, and no. That's not what Jesus did. He worked with them patiently. He continued to teach them and question them and guide them. He continued to love them. So turn with me, if you will, to Mark 8, 27 through 32. Most of the verses this morning will be on the screen, but some of these longer passages, we're just going to look them up. Mark 8, 27 through 32. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So the disciples were still maybe a little bit confused about who exactly Jesus was. But Peter, he was quick on the draw, right? I mean, typical Peter. And he felt like, no, I've got this. I know who you are, Jesus. I know exactly who you are. You are the Christ. So he had a better understanding but not enough of a better understanding to keep him from rebuking the son of God. (laughs) I mean, look at Peter's gall here. I mean, this is his, his master, his rabbi, his teacher, and he believes he's the Christ, but he's still rebuking Jesus. You know, a rebuke is something pretty strong. It's not you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm a little concerned or I'm a little confused. It's no Jesus. That's wrong. You got this wrong, Jesus. What are you doing? Yet, this lack of understanding and this ignorance did not keep Jesus from being able to use his disciples. John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. So here we find the disciples after Jesus' birth, right? They've, I mean, death. They've spent over three years with Jesus. Over three years with Jesus on a daily basis. I mean, can, can you imagine? We'd expect them to know it all, but they don't. We'd expect them to have overcome fear, but they haven't. Yet Jesus still came to them and offered them peace and comfort. He was still loving. He was still patient. He still wanted to use them, 
for his father's purpose. Now turn to John 20, verses 24 through 28. Just a little further from that verse we just read. So this is after Jesus has has died and resurrected. This is a well-known passage. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. So eight days, Thomas is just like, sorry guys, I don't believe you. I know you're my best friends. I know we've been together for years, but you're out of your mind or you're lying to me. I'm not gonna fall for your tricks. Eight days of this. And so then his disciples were again inside, verse 26, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. I love that the, the way that John wrote that down. Jesus came, oh yeah, but the doors were shut, and now he's in their midst. What does that mean? Jesus appears out of nowhere and says, peace to you peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. I I, I think that Thomas became a believer at that moment. Can any of you relate to this? Are you a doubter? You want to believe. You may even have moments of strong belief, but then at other times you find your faith waning. You wonder how God could ever use you. You wonder if God even wants to use you. Take heart. Thomas was full of doubt, denying the truths he was hearing from his closest friends and associates. Yet Jesus still came to him. Yet Jesus still wanted to use him. Do you struggle with doubts? Do you feel that your faith is maybe weak at times? Jesus still wants to use you. Luke 18, 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. So here, once again, we find the disciples missing the point. Missing the point. And we're not just talking about missing pieces of the puzzle. They've got the wrong puzzle. They don't have any pieces, right? It says specifically, they understood none of these things. Wow. Wow. Luke twenty two twenty four. Now there was also a dispute amongst them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So now we have them arguing over who is the greatest twice. Two times they're arguing over who's the greatest. These 12 men who were on the daily hanging out with the most humble person in all of the universe, and they're struggling with pride. Pride rears its ugly head. Mark 6, 52 
for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So the context there is Jesus just fed the 5,000 men, not counting the men and women, with five loaves and two fish, two little fish. And we're not talking, you know, bass or trout or anything like that, probably like sardines, something small, something teeny, something that wouldn't feed 13 people, let alone thousands. But this verse says the disciples had hard hearts. Even after spending time with Jesus, even after learning at Jesus' feet, and their hard-heartedness led to a lack of understanding. Yet, their small amount of knowledge concerning spiritual things did not hold Jesus back from entrusting them with the gospel message. Mark 9, 32 through 34. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. So not only was there a lack of understanding, but there was a fear to ask. Pride, right? Once again, rearing its ugly head. What what is Jesus gonna think if we ask him? How is Jesus gonna react towards me if I ask him? But the narrative continues. And he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed amongst themselves who would be the greatest. So here's the third time. The third time they're trying to one-up each other. How patient, how understanding, how merciful is our Lord, right? I mean, I know how I would deal in that situation. I'd be ready to just give up on these guys. All right, you want to see who's greatest? Well, why don't you guys duke it out, and I'm going to find some more humble people to work with. But that's not what Jesus did. Thank God for that. John 6, 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So here, after Jesus explains the true meaning of communion, the disciples are left dumbfounded. Now, I could keep going on and on and on with verses just like this, but I, I think you guys get my point. The disciples were not perfect. The disciples didn't know it all. The disciples didn't understand everything that Jesus said. They were selfish, they were prideful, and they lacked spiritual understanding, yet Jesus still used them. Jesus equipped them, empowered them, and gave them authority. So why are we today so quick to hold people back when they've been touched by Jesus? Why are we so quick to hold people back when they've been touched by Jesus? When do we know when someone is ready to share the gospel? When do we know when someone has enough knowledge to tell others about what Jesus has done for them? So I ask this question again. Did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those he called. Jesus had a short conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. 
And if you're familiar with the story, you'll notice that he didn't rebuke her for her lifestyle choices. He didn't tell her to keep her mouth shut because she had no theology degree. He didn't tell her that she couldn't evangelize because she was a sinner or she was a woman or even because she was a, of the wrong religion. She believed that he was the Messiah. And John 4, 28 picks up with the story and says, the woman then left her water pot. She'd come for one reason, but she left change, forgetting about why she came. I can relate to that, but I mean, at least with me, it's not as profound. Sometimes I just walk in a room and I forget why I walked in there, and whatever I was going to do, I leave it undone. This woman had something important to do, right? Bringing water back, I mean, water, the source of life. But she met Jesus and got a taste of the, the living water. So she left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. She was an evangelist, and many in the city believed because of her words. She led people to Jesus. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So she led people to believe because of her own testimony, and then she led others to Jesus to learn directly from him. What an amazing story. Because if we're honest here, she wasn't living a moral life. She wasn't worshiping in the right temple. She didn't have a broad spiritual understanding, but she met Jesus and was changed forever. She was equipped and empowered by the spirit of Christ. So I ask one last time, did Jesus call those who were qualified or did he qualify those he called? I wanna tell you guys a story. Now, this isn't some story I found in a book. This is a true story. It actually just took place because it's a story about a miracle that I watched take place during my time at the Oklahoma camp meeting over the past two weeks. So I wanna introduce you to a, a young nine-year-old boy that I met in the primary division named Gershon. Gershon. He was visiting from California, and this was Nathan Shires and his wife Gupreet's uh, nephew, and he was visiting them and coming to camp meeting. Now, Gershon is not a Christian. Gershon has no Christian background. The first day he was at camp meeting, he asked this question, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? And so Pastor Walter and I, we allowed him to sort of help lead out in some areas. We wanted him to have a good feel for what Christian camp was all about. And so he would come early to the class and help us get set up. And we would always, you know, we, we would gather together all of, all of our helpers and Pastor Walter and myself and Norma and Rex, if he was up there, whoever was up there before we began, we'd gather together and encircle and we'd pray. And he'd always just sort of, you know, join in. Well, eventually, as the week went on, he was getting really antsy when it was time to start. Guys, are we gonna pray? Guys, are we gonna pray? Are we gonna gather up and pray? And so 
The beginning of the week, he had no background in Christianity, but the beautiful thing with kids having a brain like a sponge and songs which are very easy to learn and memorize, by like the second day, he knew all these Bible songs and he was learning all the motions and he was starting to get up front and help lead out. He was singing, he was shouting, he was dancing, praising this God that he just heard about just a few days prior. And it was beautiful. And eventually, later on in the week, this question came out of his mouth. Is there a video, maybe, that I could watch to learn more about Jesus? So Walter and I got together, and we talked with, with Nathan. And, um, you know, Nathan was very respectful, and I think he made the right decision. He said, hey, you know, Gershon's asking these, these questions. We want to show him, but let's touch base with his parents. You know, they're back in California. They are Sikhs. They are not Christians. They were a little concerned about him coming to a Christian camp, but they let him, so let's not take advantage. So full disclosure, called. Dad was like, maybe. I think I'm okay with it. Let me talk to my wife. Well, they talked and decided we're not really comfortable with that. But let us talk to Gershon. Well, I don't know what Gershon said on the phone, but their tune changed because then it was, hey, yeah, we're fine with that. We just want you, Nathan, to be there with these two other pastors. So we got with him one afternoon and we watched this, this video uh, released by The Bible Project. And it was just a very basic video outlining the gospel and what it is and how Jesus fits into that. And um, he was kind of quiet afterwards, you know, didn't have a lot of questions. He said, yeah, I get that. I understand that. Well, later that night, we, for most of the time, we would do music, song service with the kids when they first get there for the division meetings, and then we would have a prayer. And usually Walter, since he was up there with the guitar already, he would just have a corporate prayer. Well, on this night, we decided to break the kids up into groups, into small groups. So we did that, and I noticed that Gershon was in this group with a bunch of other boys, you know, boys that were all Christians, that had been raised in Christian homes. And here is Gershon, and they couldn't decide who was going to pray. And so Gershon was like, I'll pray. I'll do it. And so as these, you know, all these groups and they're praying at different times and different volumes. And so I got kind of close to his group and listened to his prayer. And I mean, it sounded like any prayer that I would pray. And at the very end of the prayer, he said, in the name of Jesus, amen. And I mean, for me, like that's, that's why I do what I do. That's why I love camp meeting and working with those kids. It's, it's moments like that. So this is, this is Gershon up here. Um, this is him being presented with a reward from our Oklahoma Conference Youth Director, Pastor Daniel Ortega. Um, there was a bit of a scavenger hunt during the week, and so there were, there were uh, different areas where the kids could find different words and put those words together and make a Bible verse. And if you memorize the Bible verse, you could go, you could go um, say this Bible verse to somebody and be put into a drawing to win a prize. So he won the scavenger hunt by piecing together a Bible verse and memorizing it. Not only was Gershon's life touched, by coming to Oklahoma camp meeting, but all of these other lives were touched through Gershon. Even lifetime Christians like me. So with all that being said, 
I want to ask one final question. It was the first question I asked. What are you waiting for? Do you know Jesus? Has your life been affected by his love and his teachings? Has his light shone into the dark recesses of your heart? Do you now have hope for today and for the future? It doesn't matter if you don't have a theology degree or any degree at all. It doesn't matter if you don't have all the answers or understand every spiritual thing. It doesn't matter if you struggle with doubts or wish that your faith was stronger. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants to use you. Your testimony of knowing Jesus can change somebody else's life. Your willingness to let the light of Jesus shine through you can change the world in ways that you don't even know. What are you waiting for? Share God's love, share God's mercy, share God's grace with someone. Be like the disciples. Be like the woman at the well. Be like Gershon. Let your light shine. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the little bit of knowledge and understanding that you have given to us. We thank you for the ways our life has been changed. Now, Lord, let us go forward and share that with others. We don't need to have all the answers. We just need to share what we know. And we know that we don't go out alone into the world, but your spirit is with us. So I ask now that you would fill each one of us. And that as we leave here this afternoon, we would leave here changed, realizing that we've got a light inside of us that needs to get out. Give us the faith, give us the strength, give us the commitment to share that light in a world that is so dark, in a world that needs to know that there is a creator that loves them. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.